Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Dave Fortman. How are you? Good. Well, this was easy. Guess, guess, finally getting together. It was like, <laughs> easy breezy. Yeah, Dave, if we don't know. It was sort of easy, man. It was easy. Thank you for, for tech supporting <laughs> me to get on to, to Zoom. It was, a, it was a small bump in the road. It was all good. Um, so, if you don't know Dave, Dave does a lot of production work with um, Godsmack, um, Evanescence, which are also a guitar player, and one of my favorite bands is um, That's true. Yes. Uncle Joe. So, oh, how yeah. you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, yeah. Basic afternoon, got some groceries. Tried to get out, ran a little bit. And by a little, I mean a, a little. Like, not much running, but I, at least I moved around. <laughs> but uh, then I got a mix later. So, same old thing. Just sitting here in my little studio in the sky. So how does that, how does that work for you as a producer? Like right now, before we go into the, the ugly kid Joe stuff, like for projects and stuff, are you just out there working and do you have a lot of stuff sent to you? Are you working through a team or, you know what I'm saying? Now, yeah, people uh, send me stuff, you know, right now it's uh, some friends of mine that have had a, a large accomplishment, you know, they're called the Chiwis. It's a cover band. I've known them forever. I've known the drummer for a, for a long time, uh, produced one of his bands, Tom's house and, back in the early 2000s uh, and they'd got inducted to the Louisiana hall of fame. They're so good. They're so popular as a, a cover band, you know, they're, they're oh, wow. amazing musicians. So they want to have an EPK. I think that's what they're doing. I didn't get the whole story. Uh, so I'm trying to mix eight songs that, which is difficult because it's all tied together as a live show. And so okay. I figured last night that the best way to approach it is like, go, so I don't get too bogged down in it because it's, it's. I think that they have to have it tied together because it, it seems to me that the, the, the transitions are all they're like necessary. a collage type of thing, like a big melt melody. I I guess so because it's like if you try to fade the first song, well then he's in the, he's in there saying, "Well, hey, what's going on, everybody?" Oh. You know, like, and then the next one's the same way, or there's some kind of transition. So I figured that I just need to look at it in blocks, you know, get the first one, and just go in and start doing volume automations on the things that change or any kind of settings just have to be song to song. Cause I keep listening past that, you know, and it's like, I'll never get done if I keep listening to it as a giant, you know, whatever hour and a half song, you know, I'm driving myself crazy, but yeah, I have a, a better grip on it. So this well, evening, that's, that's, that's really long for a press kit too. It's a lot of songs. I, you know, I don't know if, what they're doing with it, but it's for something. And I've just forgot what he told me. So I don't know. Okay. We'll, we'll, We'll Did you say you're also working, working, um, do some Godsmack too? You're working on that right now? Yeah, we just finished. Uh, I just mixed the new Godsmack. And man, what a blog. That record is insane, man. So good. I think that uh, by a mile, I think Sully has outwritten himself with just, uh, you know, there's introspective looks in his own life. In, in, oh, you know, I'm not good with English, so I hope that's the right word, introspective. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> I'll put, up close, I'll put up captions. For, I'll, I'll put captions in there for you. <laughs> Give me the right word below the one where we'll, I Yeah, we'll up. do that. We'll do that. But yeah, the songs are fantastic. And the, the lyrical content, you know, on top of the chord progressions and, and wow, what a record, you know. Yeah. And we, we busted our ass on it. And finally, just finished the mix, just got it back from Ted Jensen um, for, for like the last week or whatever. And so we're really stoked on it, you know. That's good to hear because I know for a while he was on the fence about the band being back together or going together. 
been a weird couple yeah. of years. I know he did some solos, so it's good to hear that he's, you know, even if he spaces them out, you know, and takes yeah, a he's a, stuff. he's a solid human, you know. He he's right. he's got. I mean, I, I think out of any artist I've ever known, <clears throat> Sully is the most dedicated to his own people and his own family, you know, and, uh, I mean, geez, he keeps, he keeps in touch with everybody. You know, he's just a, I think a great guy. I fucking love him to death. And I think he's, you know, such an instrumental, uh, player in his, in his own creations, you know? And I mean, I love being around those types of artists, you know, especially, yeah. you know, you know, when a dude like that, like he, Joey Jordanson was like that, you know, Corey Taylor, you get in a room with these guys and you know that there's this, at least in my mind, you know, if I'm going to look at it as this musicality thing, you know, and spiritual, like how do these people exist, man? They change the world. I mean, this fuck guy's been doing it 27 years. Yeah. Having number one hits off his albums for that fucking long, you know, and it, you get in a room with these people and things change, man. And the way he feels and, and can, you know, dictate even mixed changes in the, his his he's a great producer as well. I mean, this guy's a surprise me. I mean, he's a drummer, he's, a guitar player, guys are, yeah, yeah. He's a, just all around great musician. Uh, and me, you know, and me and him are great friends on the on the other side of life. Just being dudes, we're very compatible people, but we also work great together. And uh, I certainly think he's one of those guys, man. You know, every time I've been in a room with people like that, man. I mean, you, you could just feel that they we're just somehow born to do this. And it's, it's incredible to be around him and the, in the way things change when he's involved. I think it's really special. Yeah. He's one of the people I've yet to speak to in my, like my life, but he's on my list. My, my short yeah, list he's, people. he's an amazing character, man. I love he's, him. He's great. Really good friend of mine. <clears throat> so you actually mentioned, um, yeah, Slipknot, you've actually did some work with Slipknot too. Another I, yeah, pretty much all of was gone uh, in, in 2008 which was a massive accomplishment, you know, for everybody, you know, at the time they were literally on like just different islands, you know, and they were not really speaking to each other. A lot of, a lot of internal things happening. Yeah. Um, and I want to, I'm going to get into things, you know, but, but, you know, Joey, everybody's in yeah. it. So, you know, I went ahead and made the album without bringing them all together, you know, and, 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 you know, they had split into two camps. So it made it really difficult for me. Um, certainly I, I got along with all of them, but the fact is when the camp split, I had to choose a side really it, just to get done with the record in time. So, Oh, really? Um, yeah. And it, you know, and in the end, I mean, you know, it, it, really what happened was that, the main songwriter crew, which is only three guys that that literally have written the history of Slipknot, it was just Corey, Paul, and Joey. You know, right? Uh, Joey had all the demos, and so every you know when when they, I think at that level of fame and money that that you know when you get the itch to want to write too, like everybody mm-hmm. wants to write. So you know, Jim and Sean had all these songs. Which I loved. I thought they were it was great material, but it's like, how do I make all this into one thing? You know, it's going to end up on the same record when we all have we have a certain amount of time, and they're not right. really communicating. You know, and it's just all these things happening. So I had to kind of buckle down and just go with the main crew songwriters. You know, and I got along famously with those three and a couple other dudes. 
but the, I knew I could hear that it was it was in the music already. We already had it. The album it didn't need to have rewrites, you know. And a lot of the guys were like, "Oh, but it needs to be more songs and rewrite and stuff," because they wanted to obviously have music on the album. So they went and made another studio, man, next door. Like we're out in the cornfields at this place in Jamaica, Iowa. And we're in the main studio, so those guys go rent a bunch of equipment, you know, and they're making like a look, which was a cool record, but I didn't have time to put all that into like the Slipknot record while me and Joey are focusing on what would essentially become a, a very important record for those guys, man. Like, yeah, you know, it is. One, I mean, this platform, I mean, psycho, you know, psychosocial snuff was on there, which I had to fight to get that thing into, into shape. I mean, it was an incredible journey, but point being, being in a room, I mean, like, you know, it's the only time in my career, and maybe once or twice with Sully, where you want to be a producer and you and you want to, you know, you want to make them think, oh, he did a lot to the record because he made all these changes. But when, as a producer, I could hear that it didn't need to be changed, man. Right. You know, it was spot on. I mean, like Corey would do three takes of a song. Snuff is nothing more. Actually, Snuff is a one-take song, man. He sang the whole fucking thing through and loved really? it. Me too. I loved it too. Snuff is not its not produced in any way vocally. You know, that thing's that's just a one-take all the way through. And most of the songs are either just an entire verse picked out and then he listened and would make me take another verse. But it was a situation where you feel like, they're going to think you did nothing. But the fact is you did a lot by not changing it. And that's, you know, I could have gone in and said, oh, well, it could have been, you know, let's do this again. Keep, give me more, give me more, give me more just to have like takes, which wouldn't have made any fucking difference because I would hear it and go, I told Corey, any of those three takes that we did on all, any of the heavy stuff too, you know, there's obviously there's some stuff we punched for sections, but, but dude, part of your job as a producer is to recognize when, Greatness just happened. Right. You want to cultivate you, Sometimes it. you got to sacrifice them thinking, you know, the artist thinking that you're not producing them. But you have, I, you know, I stood strong and just like, you know, it, and of course, it, you know, it bites you on the ass a little bit. You know, I think it was, they were on like VH1 or something or some interview and the chick's all, you know, so how was, what, you know, what was it like working with Dave Foreman? He really, really didn't know what to say. You know? <laughs> he's like, well, he taught me to, you know, because I didn't teach him shit. He doesn't need to be taught anything. This dude just needs to sing. And it's it's stunning to hear this guy on a microphone, man. And his throat gets all big. He's just all, and his lyrics are fantastic. It, it, yeah. You know, you have to realize sometimes that you, you know, your input might not be fucking needed. Now, whereas other artists, you know, like people might listen to Amy Lee and think that, oh, she's so rad that she just sang it through, you know, but that's not the case at all. You know, like there's many things that we would go over, you know, My Immortal, My Immortal became a, a giant smash hit, right? And that fucking outro piece in the band version that came out and was on YouTube and all the bullshit... Uh, you know, the outro, I've been alone all these years, of the bridge was, just wouldn't fit. I mean, we we took, a, it, I would have her just come back to stuff, you know, when she starts sounding great, she'll come back yeah. and we'll try to redo parts as she's sounding really great. But all those things, yeah, those are comped, like, we, you know, those things are have been heavily picked through 
uh, to come up with what vocal you hear on the and album. That was uh, was it was it Ben was it Ben Ben Udi? Ben he Udi was in the band at the time. He was there in the band too. Yeah, which he was a huge part of the sound. I think gigantic. He's, well, he's a songwriter, man. I know that. But I'm saying like now, I don't even I haven't heard anything by them. I did. Now, yeah, well, yeah, those days are were right. set and gone, man. I mean, we got you know at least you know we had the open door, um, and I would say the writing, the whole deal, you know, which still evanescence but you're not ever going to get the fallen sound back because it's impossible that the elements that were in that band dave hodges included uh don't exist you know so i still love what they do i mean no it's not it's not a dig it is a certain sound it was just like you get the sound the song the team and the timing and the timing in 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 the industry because it's luck no doubt and you know the difference the real difference is if you look at it from a songwriting standpoint is that ben had a more simplistic view of going from let's just use like Nashville counting system, uh, the Nashville uh, county system. You know, he was more of the minor one to the six guy, mm-hmm. you know, in, you know, many of those songs are written like that, you know, bring me to life is, you know, what minor one to G and then to D and then to back to minor one, E, which is very simple, you know, and, and, God bless Amy for writing the lyrics on top of that. But my immortal, I mean, that was written, Ben wrote the lyrics to that when he was like a teenager or something. So that combination between the three of them uh, and Hodges more, I don't think how many, I'm not sure. He wrote like the bridge to my immortal, but, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously. The chemistry. He, he's one of the biggest heroes of all time. My God. To get kicked out of the band. And then I did a record with him. And not, not to change subjects, but I'll, this is a pretty important thing. This guy, <coughs> he makes this beautiful record, Trading Yesterday, with me. And it's just gorgeous. I mean, what an album. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they get dropped because they want the, the a company signs the fray. And here he comes, man. Him and Ben were doing some co-writing. But then Dave went on his own to become a massive songwriter, you know. And there was a night where I'm sitting in Montreal visiting my kid. And I was, I just said, well, I want to, you know, look up what Hodges is doing. And I realized that he had done a thousand years with Christina Perry and that song. I mean, I was crying my face off. I'm like, it, that song wrapped up like his whole Trading Yesterday record, like all slammed into one beautiful, amazing track, man. It, it blew me away, man. I, I had a seriously religious experience listening to that track, man. It blew, it blew my mind. But, Though he's, but you know, but but the three of them—they're only three dude. They're only three kids. When I when when I got paired with Evanescence by Wind Up Records, you know, it was three kids and me. We're all Southern Baptist. I'm, I'm Louisiana. They're Arkansas, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a great match for us to get together. And none of us thought that it would go that big. It just wasn't in the cards, you know. Amy would joke and say, "Oh, we're going to go gold," you know, like. <laughs> Which was hilarious until the world got a hold of it, and it turned out to be uh, far from actually what happened. And it went, you know, seventeen million worldwide. Yeah, I was gonna say it's quite a platinum over a few times over, huge. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the the songwriting of it, though, you know, if you go from fall, like just take Fallen, which is the biggest record, obviously, and just go front to back. They're they're generally all written. I mean, by and large, written a lot. It's all 
you know, for, for basic people listening or whatever, it would just be like if you're playing an E minor, you know, or like this, you know, if it, here, I'll play a guitar for you. Like, it's like if it's all. I'll tune regular. That's a minor one down to six. Mm-hmm. You can move around. It's been in very pop sort of or dark, like almost like movie themes, you know. Right. Very emotive. Wake me up inside. Wake me up inside. Call my name. You know see what I'm saying? That's all bring me to life really is. And, but it doesn't sound like that because we got Dave Campbell on the strings just going nuts. You know, and, and the verse is all. Well, most songs are, the more basic they are, the bigger the songs, you know what I mean? People don't realize how simple that is. I'm playing funk. I'm doing it in Southern funk. <laughs> A little more groove to it. But that's all the fucking thing. <coughs> I think it's a bridge. I mean, it's, it's, that's the beauty of in the tragedy all in the same time is when when you lose Ben Moody and you lose all that simplicity, you know, imaginary and all these things, that the, the chord progressions and his ability to make this simplistic, huge thing that the world loved, you know. Only, man... If they could have put put aside their differences and just made one more, man, it, I, I always wondered what that would have been like, you know, because then we moved into the biggest song of the next record being Call Me You're Sober. Totally different vibe. Right. Still was successful. Sold a couple of million albums. Which but nowhere. Suck. But it's not anywhere by any means. Anywhere near what, what the stuff, like the, the rhythm progressions, which matters a lot, you know to build a song on top of nothing like what Ben was doing. And, uh, and they've never been to that zone, you know? Well, that's the thing. A band like Evidence is not a band I would normally listen to, but that yeah. album, cause I'm also Ball. a fan of, yeah. I'm also a fan of music and of songwriting. Yeah. There's no way around and playing. It, it's a good album as it, far it as really songwriting is. goes. And it's not yeah, about it's... anything else to me. Yeah. Cause yeah, sometimes like stylistically, some people may not like it, but from a, like if you're you're a songwriter or you're into music or or you're a professional that knows progressions, then you can't really deny Fallen Man, you know, because the two of them as a songwriter team, Amy and Ben at that time, uh, were some of the best on the planet, man, and they proved it, you know, with with how many people. I, I think the production, you did a good job in the production. I went to college yeah, originally for, for production, yeah. so I have a, a little extra. Yeah, now invested uh, yeah. when I when I when I want to um I listen to stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. A little more critical. <laughs> if I'm really yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I busted ass on that thing, man. I remember Alan Meltzer, rest his soul, uh, when we had turned in "Bring Me to Life" because it was going to go out earlier because it was going to be on Daredevil the soundtrack, and you know we were all just like, "Wow, man, we we're in a movie! Holy shit, this is the best!" And so he would tell he say. Called me, says Fortman. Sounds like you worked on every bar of that song, you know, the New York accent. And I said, Well, fuck, I did. You know? <laughs> and I mean, just to give you the actual science of of what I did to like bring me to life, yeah. you know, biggest song of my career. Well, 
at the end of each course, it used to go to what is now Bridge A. Bring me to life. And I told him, it sounds like we're going to the bridge every time we get finished with the course. So I got all, I took all the, I took the first one that did that, and we just made two of them at the bridge, and then we went into the, to the regular bridge. So it's bridge A, bridge B now. Choruses go right back to like those things that go. Wake me up inside. Well, that didn't exist. And then we got the outro, so then we brought the outro up bigger um, with Josh Freeze going nuts on the drums and all that. Uh, under the Maniac. And that, drum sound, too. Yeah, he, yeah, very easy with that guy. But but those you know the way that feels is a lot more concise feeling than rather than having each of those choruses have this outro piece you know it's like a chorus B every time which was I thought not necessary and so everyone else agreed the band loved it uh, and certainly the A and R uh, Victor Mur- Murgatroyd and, and Alan Meltzer Diana and all those guys ended up really loving the production on it so I did the right thing. And I got that gig. I ended up get. I got that gig because I produced this band, Boyce. It's fire before Evanescence with the Wind Up Records. And thanks to Jay Baumgartner, who gave me a fucking career. You know, he let me co-produce with Twelve Stones, and then he gave me. They asked him to do Boyce. It's fire. He was busy. I think with Seether, so they let me do Boyce. It's fire, and under Jay's executive production. So I had a chance to really just go in and start making notes. And this is a punk rock band kind of punk emo at the time uh, that had really, I mean, what I mean, what I mean, long arrangements, man, like longer than this is like, it's like three bridges in this fucking monster of the song. And I'm just like, you know, and back then, you know, I was up and coming starving. I was like, fuck it. You know, I have a picture of my son when he was like two and a half or three butt naked to kind of walk around the house and I'm sitting there making the notes that would change my life on Boyce It's Fire. So they ended up nicknaming nicknaming me the Butcher because of the arrangements I did on that shit. And they had tried other people to do the arrangements. So Alan Meltzer had fallen in love with the fact that I could do that to songs. And so Pop them up and kind of put it back it, with it. it and Evanescence wasn't Evanescence wasn't just something that got handed to into me in my lap out of nowhere. They had been developing in Los Angeles, man, for a year. They wanted to have the band develop and in I think they even made Amy go to like like improv classes or some shit like that, acting classes. But those guys, Evanescence, uh, they were waiting on Don Gilmore, the guy that did Lincoln Park, mm-hmm. the, you know, albums or whatever. And uh, so that came, you know, Alan Meltzer made the cold call after Boy Sets Fire and inviting me to New York and offered me an A&R job or vice president of A&R. Uh, which I didn't take because it would be exclusive to that company. But in, in the same meeting, he offered me Evanescence. And so he called Amy, and Amy freaked out, was yelling at him and shit, like, well, you're going to throw us to the wolves, this guy from my Linky Joe. And so he also told him, well, they, we're going to fly you and Ben down to New Orleans to meet with this guy, you know. And so took one dinner, man. We were off to the races. Very I said, cool. look, I got the keys. I, got, I have the keys to the record company's heart right now, man. You know, and you usually have to wait this long to, to get Don Gilmore. And Alan loves me. Let's go do this shit. And so it all worked out, man. We're stoked. Still stoked. One of the things yeah. to me, and I, well, I, I don't want to say that, I know on that, on that album is, is it's the type of music is, it's a very epic music. And the problem is I think a lot of bands to try to copy it almost sound too big, like the notes are escaping. I think you found a point where it was epic and large, 
but punchy where it yeah. didn't where it felt like it still had a a home the song felt like i saw the structure where sometimes it feels like you're up on a mountain on some of these type of um emo epic bands in that oh, genre yeah. where it just feels like it just goes and you're like you're waiting for it to come back to you whereas that album in particular has a punch and you know where you're at you know no doubt yeah i so said a lot of aspects uh, that are critical uh if you get a chance go listen to imaginary uh which is i think one of the reasons you know these kind of epic moments the intro that dave campbell and Dave Hodges came up with to that is absolutely stunning. Right. Also, there at the point of the bridge, and I went back like a nerd and counted how many individual people were actually playing between a choir that we doubled, Dave Campbell's orchestra that we doubled. There's something like 76 individual people playing at the same time in the bridge at the end of the solo. <laughs> when it goes to solo, it, and so it it's massive, you know, and I, in th- a lot of the organic nature of that record is that it's not like modern day stuff that sounds like Evanescence. It's all like clicky drum samples, you know. That's actually a real drum set, man. There's no, there's no samples in there. I'm so critical of drums. That's what I'm saying. I like that album. Yeah, it's 100 percent natural. So I think Josh Free's playing, so it's really oh, he's a, he's a easy to mix. But you can hear it where things aren't always perfect, and you know, I love it when the kick and the snare, they're not always defined, and, and it's something like, and the guitars are large and warm, and uh, it's kind of, Godsmack's kind of, the new Godsmack's kind of like that. I mean, I try to get a little bit out of every album to where it's not like exactly, because when everything sounds like it's going to be, every when everything sounds like it's the same volume, it, yeah, you can hear everything, and then it sounds like it's going to blow up. To me, that's the kind of records I, I really love. And so Evanescence, believe it or not, as goth as it is, has a lot of rock, like basic rock tonality that well, I gave. Well, Josh's drumming makes a difference because he he's, he plays on so many different artists. I've talked with him in other yeah. shows, so he doesn't have a certain. He's not a metal drummer. He's not. He has a bit he's of a not, swing, yeah. almost like he'd say like Bill Ward was not a metal drummer in, in Sabbath, but he had. Yeah. He's like a jazz drummer. No doubt, it's huge. So 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 to me, I'm saying it's it's a, it's that little bit of a turn that Josh yeah. can do on so many different types of music that makes. The band can sound so so different, and you're like, "What is that sound? Like, why does it sound different?" Just because of his drumming, his That's swing. That's exactly it. You know, initially, yeah. you know, initially the band, the, their vision of it from the demos was way more metal. You know, I think there was even a time when I'd done a rough. I was trying to mix Bring Me Life, but you know, we ended up going with Jay mixing it. It was my first attempt. You know, and I remember Amy being in the car, and she. And we gave her the CD and so she's jamming on She's like, wait, that doesn't sound right. And it's like, it's the guitars are all wrong. And she put the demo on, it was like the, you know, a Metallica kind of thing. But Ben I mean, Ben had already switched over to, to realizing we're going for a different yeah. kind of mixture of rock and metal and not just trying to be like you know, with the clicky, super clicky drums. But that's how that all I mean it's it's mostly just a luck shot. It's not like I fucking, you know, planned to make out, you know, I didn't have a vision of how it would fucking turn out, man. It just sort of landed in my lap that way. I just went after it, you know, and just whatever felt great to me at the time. And I got Josh in there <coughs> and, uh, no use of samples. It just sounds rad, you know, and well, if I, you- I mean, I don't, I don't remember any samples at all 
because uh, I have the files. I don't know if they're from the mixed session, but I don't see any samples on them. I know that Jay used just a pinch of snare. If I did, it might have been a little snare backing. But when I listen to it now, I don't hear any. I can tell when there's a sample in there, you know, but this is, I mean, you can hear Josh's ghost notes. You can hear him roll out of things without even a glitch. So that means that that big old Tama Bell Brass is still sitting in there naturally, you know, water drummer. It's really good. I think and the other thing I'd say is yeah. I think um, Sully being a guitarist and a drummer is kind of, a, kind of in that, a lot of people, actually a lot of people like this, yet uh, Charlie Burnett from uh, Anthrax and then Dave Grohl. Yeah. The 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 um the drummers that play guitars that are songwriters, yeah, and, and the way it affects the songwriting, you know, oh big time. Not, yeah. Even if Shannon's an, Shannon's an awesome drummer, but then you got oh, so, 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 but I'm saying Pesos and Solo. I mean, so I mean, you once again you have two great drummers. Yeah, no, oh, you know, band together, yeah, right. So I that, mean, that yeah, that solo thing they do live is it still kills me, man. When I, I'm like, wow. When the two of them get together. I enjoyed, you know, whatever. I think it was like two years, I think. I, I forget. Wait, I mean, Shannon. No, it was more than that. No, of course. We were in the band until the band broke up. So I had like three, four years, I think, of, of jamming out with Chan Dog, Chan Larkin. And, and dude, my God. I mean, it, there would be nights in clubs, man, where <laughs> I shit you not. I would look at the audience and they're fucking looking at Shannon. They're looking at Whip. <laughs> He's looking at Shannon. He's all like, a and he's killing it, you know. And yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him play with Godsmack. It's a pleasure. Smack. All those and, years to play with him. I think I've seen him play with both bands actually. I'm getting so old now. Oh, did you see that. Ugly Kid with Shannon? I think I did. Yeah, I've seen Ugly Kid a few times. I remember the first time oh, I saw Ugly Kid, and it was um, right after the EP came out. I th- I don't even remember if you were. I think you may be part of the band. I'm up in New England, and I think that uh, you guys were opening for somebody. And they're like, who's band? And the single had just come out, or had been out. But then they go, what is the song we're going to do? And you guys announced um, doing um, Cradle, you know. And and, oh, and, yeah. and like, it hadn't been out yet. And then I'm like, we just moshed to it. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. This is the best thing ever. We just moshed it. <laughs> you know, Sweet. the Harry Chaffin. I was like, this is the best thing ever. I, I told him that night, you know, like it was yesterday. Because it was That's in a club. Like you opened the it was, in the Cradle, dude. I'm rules. like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> And it wasn't out yet either at the time. I'm like, and then when it came out in the album, I was like, oh, yes. That was the oh, first rules. time I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somewhere up in Connecticut. I live up in New England, so I was up there. Um, I, don't remember, I don't even remember what club it was now. It's been so long. <laughs> but it was a good time period. Yeah, it, it was really good. <clears throat> and that's the thing, actually, we'll talk about uh, Ugly Kid Joe. The sound is a weird time for everybody because... I don't even know what you guys would consider yourself. I hate labeling bands anyhow. I know I've heard heavy metal and this and that, but then the songs are kind of parody like. But to me, it's smart. But I'm also a guy that loves Frank Zappa, love Frank Zappa and Dweezil right. Zappa. So, yeah. so for me, actually, a lot of shows on Dweezil Zappa and I'm Frank too. So, one of the things is to me, I appreciate humor and it's tongue in cheek, with a good song. So yeah. to me, uh, you know, Ugly Kid Joe was a no brainer because. You know, it was a rocking version of, you know, something different, but it was fun yeah. and smart because I think, and I don't know, did you guys find it challenging with the record label as far as being like, sometimes you're serious, sometimes you're not. Like, you guys are some really good, serious songs. Like, um, yeah. like uh, Cloudy Skies, that was one you wrote yeah. with a um, beautiful song, but it doesn't really fit. Like, you have a lot of songs that are so different and eclectic. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, the label must have pulled her hair out. Sometimes I think, you know, I, I don't know if, I mean, even though Milkman, if you look at, I mean, I just check Spotify, just shits and giggling what we're doing on Kill the Pain and That Ain't Living. And uh, I didn't know if, you know, Milkman's son had that many plays against the rest of the record. Really? Of Motel, I'm sorry, of uh, Minister Sobriety. So, you know, early on, like, you know, I had guilt about, you know, because I'm from Louisiana, I have, you know, Southern roots, man. And so also Baptist roots, which brings in a lot of these types of progressions that I write. I thought you were going to say guilt uh, and, and rattlesnakes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I had guilt, I, you know, I had guilt over, over like whether, because I had written stuff that I that just came to me and I, you know, I was like, I don't know if this really is this a something bad for the band because they were previously just kind of a happy like but some pretty serious metal songs you know like Panhandle and Prince I mean these are great things and they, they work great live and everything else neighbor badass songs to play so when I brought in like my you know probably the reason I joined the band was because I used to go play Busy Bee all the time up in Santa Barbara when I was friends with Witten Klaus I was friends with them you know solid year and a half man before I think I joined the band, you know, and but and so we would jam on songs, and then the record company decides to release that as a single, and it does terrible. So I felt like, damn, man, we should have probably went the other route. We came out of Cats in the Cradle to another fucking ballad. It's a band that everybody knew. I don't actually think they're going to play that. Would it work for you guys? Because I mean, luckily yeah. you guys got the attention. Because I think if you said a metal band, it wouldn't have been as long lasting to begin with. The EP was very metal sounding. But a lot of my, me and my friends were so much more excited when this, the full album came out. Where it's a lot different, you know, and each each album was, was varied. Wow. I don't think I don't. I actually wouldn't have seen, in my opinion, the career to be us talking about a new album coming out as much because you it's got like almost like a cult status. Whereas you aren't just yeah. Remember cool. that band that had those two cool albums in ninety uh, in early nineties. Weren't they a grunge yeah. band or something? Because you weren't, and you weren't like. But that was a time when, you know, like, you know, you had Jane's Addiction and, and Chili Peppers, and you could have all these different sounds without specifically a, a rock guitar, but having a different flavor, whether it's you know a funk or this or that. I mean, Bicycle. I mean, you have a lot of different songs, way different. You know, even Busy Bees. It's a, it's got some serious lyrics, but they're also funny lyrics. But but, it, but it's also beautiful. So I mean, yeah. I don't know how you could have marketed that band. I just I think you guys were you hit it a good time. I mean, what we talk about, for That's example, cool. wow, for example I had like what one or two hits, right? I mean, think how yeah. brilliant all those songs are. I'm not saying you guys comparison, but I'm saying like it doesn't really matter because the usually your audience is not going to recognize that anyhow at the moment, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just fucking happy hour, man. I'm um, I'm living the Florida life. <laughs> but uh, thank you for saying that. You know, you know, I could beat myself to death. Why? Of, you know, because I'm the kind of guy that. You know, I read, I, I, I rethink things sometimes. I'm like, man, I, you know, did is did we do the right thing? So, I, no, so man. that so that I can further adjust moving forward to the future. But often, I end up just freaking myself out over nothing. Use my motto. Really, use my motto. You think, you stink. <laughs> yeah, go with your heart. And man. you got, you know what? And it really is up to the, the music listeners, and not once you've done the art, you just got to let the music listeners enjoy it. And and I often find that, wow, people love it a lot more than I thought they would, you know, and then they don't 
see the paranoia that I can get over. I Especially, actually like the song. other songs better than the ones like the Milkman song. I've gone back and liked them more now because the less popular yeah. ones are the ones I enjoyed more. Yeah. Because of was airplay, whatever. To me, I like the other ones too, but to me, they're so, so different. You know, that, you know, that record, man, Menace of Sobriety has become like our, you know, the Paul's Boutique of the Beastie Boys, which wasn't a large seller, but it was, it's the coolest fucking record on the planet, you it know, is. for them. I love that album. And so fans come up, man, they, fuck, they love Minnesota Sobriety. And when I go back and listen to it, I'm like, that is a really, it's something so unique about that album. And like uh, Bill Kennedy, the way it's mixed, like it's just a strange, everything about it is so different than what was even in on the market at that time. And even yeah. now, it's just such a different, I love that now. I'm like, wow, we did something really original and, and unique. We, we did, even though, you know, maybe the sales weren't up, but the sound of it is something that I think that people uh, will resonate with for a long time. Well, oh. if you, yeah, if you think about it, I mean, look what happened to any of the bands. I mean, uh, Faith the More would be a, a, a serious band that also had mixed elements. You know what I mean? Their numbers went down after a certain amount of time. It just, yeah. not, and, and I mean, they've had their albums have considered to be, continue to be great. Just because the sales are dead doesn't mean you're not good. It's just, you know, you know. I guess just the uh, the machine and it was popular in the commercial. Whatever sense. was churning away at the time, yeah. And a lot of times it's yeah, just blind have... buyers. It's not the same. It's like I got this CD because it's cool. I I know that one song. No, but like I mean, every everybody, are fans of like I'm like all the the albums, not the singles. You yeah, know? dude. Yeah, I hope that continues on, man. Because you know, our tracks are really varied on the new album and you know i can't wait for the world to hear or the internet or i don't know about the world but you know we did a cover of lola and it's i think it's it, it's really oh it's insane man i think it's the i think it's the best vocal that what's ever done it's that good it's really he's 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 interesting because he's a he's a great vocalist he's always under the radar he's like when there's something going on musically you don't hear from him or see from him. Like he vanishes into like a back here or no. something. And then what happens is and he, he comes out to plays, perform. He plays he a festival with, with a bunch of other bands and they go like, oh, wait, what What the fuck just happened? That dude yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's like, badass, man. Like that motherfucker on a microphone, man. It's game over. You know, uh, but we, I was, I'm still grateful to have all those moments and, and have somebody like that to take it and, in over the top each night, you know, because we can play the music all day long, but if, if if somebody can't come out there and sing like that, then you it's less of a, a magical show, man. That guy can make he could turn a regular show into something that it's, it's so special. And every time you get off stage, you're like, wow, this is bad. Well, it's crazy. He's also he's he calls for celebration. He fun. can run around and sing without losing his voice. He's just as strong now as he yeah, was. And some, when he and came out. he's he's got a you know he's got a very uh, tried and true and weathered ability to communicate with large audiences, man. And I, I don't know if I know, I, well, I know large, I know huge bands, obviously Corey is 50 right. times that when he goes out there with Slipknot. I mean, it's, that's insane. It's ridiculous. Sully too. Sully takes the house down, but they're also a lot more famous, but like Wits right. in front of 60,000 people and half of them probably don't remember a kid Joe or don't know in the first place. And he still got him out there fucking clapping and doing all this shit. <laughs> he's crazy. He climbs but he's also, too. But he's also, like delivering, he's also delivering, you know, note accuracy in, in 
in strength, man, you know, and that's something that's hard to do. I mean, you know, really something to behold, man, to do that shit every night. God, it's a rough job. But he's he's one of the greatest of all time, in my opinion, at gathering whatever moment it is and then bringing that to the next level. You know, if it's already great, he'll make it fantastic. You know, if it's fantastic, he'll make it something that we all remember for the rest of our lives, you know. Super, I definitely think super he's, he's, he's cemented dude. himself. And I think the last, you know, the Stairway album or EP and then album. Yeah. And then the new singles are coming out. Everyone's loving them because they're hearing his voice is still there. And they're, you know, a lot, a lot of the peers from back then have kind of thinned out now. And he's still there. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember these guys. Oh, these People guys are, are going to shit, dude, when they hear Lola. You know? it's, it's true to the form of the, the original Kink song. But wait till you hear Wit sing this thing, man. It's, it's gorgeous. It's ridiculously amazing you guys got so at least already I, I you know like i said earlier kill the pain that's another different song that is so good that's probably what i, I wrote, say, yeah i wrote that fucking song songs by you guys. i wrote that in 2018 in a dark place <laughs> i was partying a little too hard back well, then got, it worked out it's a good track, song man. train came yeah. off the tracks and i just started writing gnarly shit well i don't want to say it's worth it but it's worth it it's a good song it's a little different, but yeah, it fits, some, you know. Yeah, sometimes you have to go through it to write it. So, same with Long Robe. You know, uh, no, I wrote a bunch of shit out of my head for this last record. Uh, what's the other one? I can, everything Changes is coming out. I'm not coming out, but it's on the record. So, record how does that work out for songwriting? Because you're, you're like, where you say, you're, are you out of Louisiana? I know everyone lives everywhere. People, I know, live over in California. Well, you know? I was in Louisiana during this time that I wrote for this next record and boy does it show we got some dark shit but it's beautiful stuff man you know that's so awesome. i yeah. know and then me and dude me and wit got together here in florida and came up uh with two other songs that are rad too man it's insane yeah that's awesome now so are your you dead friends plays coming out yeah, on the album, probably. If I would assume we're going to do videos and, and these will be singles as well, because they're really great. And uh, uh, up in the city is another one. Those are really cool songs. These are Wits creations, you know, that mm-hmm. I helped him out with the progressions, and and he's also become a fabulous writer as well. We discovered that, you know, he can he'll get them and put them on on recorders and stuff, but the translation part is what's so hard and i think that uh me and him do that best where i do it the best to get it out of his head you know into a song that that ain't that ain't living the first single mm-hmm. is exactly what that is that's him going like dah, 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 dah. and me figured out what it is on the guitar and then uh, he doesn't play he doesn't play any guitar at this point, now, he figured but he, if he but started playing guitar earlier on by now he's been <laughs> now he doesn't play now but he you know he, it's in his head and you just got to get it out of there, you know? And that's at least for me, pretty, pretty easy. You know, he's, he's really, he's had trouble <laughs> with other people, man. They like, that drives him nuts. Cause they can't, it's like, he's hearing this one thing, but they can't translate it out. You know, I, I'm good at it. So me and him have been really good at, over this Sorry, last partners. stretch of doing this. So yeah, I can't so wait. It's to coming do- out in October, I believe. Right. Uh, I think so. I, I think it is. Yeah, I forgot. I think it is October. Yeah. I want to think like October twenty second. I was checking. I'm like, I thought it would be up sooner. 
Like, man, what's going on with that thing? I thought it was going to be out by Well, by fuck, now. it was supposed to be out 2020. We were in, like, El Paso, like, 2019. Uh, and we're all still like, well, it's going to come out. But COVID, you know, like everybody else, I'm sure there was a bunch of other bands just like us that were dying. Some held them and some released them. And some says I, by the time COVID yeah. was over, they have another album already written. And they just stuck to hold songs. It depends on the band's yeah, motivation. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I just think it was whatever. As a fan, I enjoyed getting music during COVID because, you know. Oh, yeah. But I yeah, for whatever reason, if that's where we're, we're at. So it's going to be uh, October. Touring? Uh, I, I know. I know. Are you, are you going to tour with the band? No, they're already touring. Um, I'm out on touring. You know, I need to stay home and work. I start working again, which I love. I was going to, like, chill and retire, but... Uh, I got the spark again after Sully and doing the Godsmack thing. And now I don't mind. I kind of do want to get back into mixing and whatever. You know, I just finished producing Shannon's uh, The Apocalypse Blues Revival, the vocals. I didn't produce the album, but the vocals I just did for a week. And it's a great record, too. Holy shit. So I'm super proud of him as well, man. What a what a songwriter Shannon's become, too. What an album. God damn. It's really, really cool. So I, I enjoyed being back in the trenches, and I, it's at home now. I got to, you know, literally have a studio with. I'm looking out at, you know, 250 feet in the air in a 24, 24th floor condo, which wow. is pretty badass. Yeah, so I'm digging it, man. Awesome. You can't retire. Well, I want to. I want to thank you, man, for coming on. I mean, well, thank you, man. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a great yeah my pleasure. Awesome.